Uh, first, I want to introduce our uh, guest. Thank you so much for uh, being here this morning. Uh, a lover of justice and human rights, Analysis is a spoken word poet, a rad left minister, a bookseller, and an educator. A Baltimore native who studied public communication at American University and divinity at Howard University, uh, Analysis has been featured and spotlighted at venues across the Mid-Atlantic, New England, and the world. He's the host of Red Emma's Mother Earth Poetry Vibe. He is the author of Somewhere Through the Haze. Uh, I've read that book. It's excellent. Really very powerful and look forward to hearing more about that. And I know at least the book is going to be for sale. Do you also have the album out there? Uh, the album is downloadable. It's downloadable. Bandcamp. So, I will, I will Bandcamp. so Analysis Bandcamp, and they can find that. All right. Okay. All right. So stop, stop by the table in the atrium. Right. Very good. All right, so afterwards to learn more. A member of the Simply Poetic Entertainment and Restoration Village Arts. I uh, appreciate uh, Lisa Bromfield for introducing me to analysis. She saw him performing here in Frederick uh, at Juneteenth a few years ago and said we need to get him here to UCF. So I'm glad we finally made that uh, happen. And I appreciate the Bromfields being willing to do music this morning as well. Uh, a brief uh, content warning that analysis did say that some of my poetic pieces have a bit of strong language and imagery, uh, not in any gratuitous way, but as a natural part of the poem's development. So if there's any age group here that that would be inappropriate for, Melissa, after the story, you're welcome to come back with her, and she has a poetry activity. Art. So if anybody, uh, so you can make that choice uh, for yourself. Blow your trumpet, Gabriel. Blow it loud and louder. And I hope that Trump might blow me home to the new Jerusalem. All in silence, bound in jail. Sing God's praise both night and day. And I hope that Trump might blow me home to the new Jerusalem. Blow your trumpet, Gabriel. Blow it louder and louder. I hope that Trump might blow me home to the new Jerusalem. I hope it does blow them home. All those seized in the marketplace of human capital. But right now all I hear trumpeted are blustering boasts about being tough on crime and misleading media made to maintain some manufactured war on drugs that keeps officials chasing the scream of those in need while ignoring their cries for help. Thus, cells swell. More dull in them here in the land of liberty than anywhere else. Even the smallest or most repentant for of offenses could get you caught up in the maze of mandatory minimums. This mandates a story. At minimum of telling of truth, because this situation has many doing time, and time keeps on slipping into the future. We want to fly like an eagle. But all we see is the new Jim Crow in the societal cage with human rights perverted in the presence of the Most High. Human rights deserted, people missing, broken families cry. Millions on the inside near forgotten, do we ask why? Seems like folk could care less how they got there or if numbers die in deplorable conditions, their lamentations being met with lamentable lies. Oh, sure, the rulers speak pretty words about equal justice, but modify their verbs to contain no action. Their Sentence structure is unbalanced with a biased renown that predicates a belief that people of color and poor whites are to be relegated to a subordinate clause. <laughs> Pardon my grammar, but that ish just ain't right. And the only corrections I see are the glaring ones that need to be made to this criminal injustice system. Both public and privatized prisons are run like rental companies with individuals treated as junk for storage. This arrangement might have you hauled away, but this ain't mom's Attica. It's the San, Quint San Quintessential squelching of souls with no renaissance of freedom in Florence. More like a crucifixion of lives, an Angola three up on crosses of falsehood, fear, and greed. Even the Nazarene would catch the fulsome prison blues under these conditions. Imagine if the carpenter had to sing, sing a song of stolen liberties. Countless commune in his name, yet act as if the least of these are mere unleavened, worth passing over. Take 2.2 million of the Creator's loved ones locked up in the U.S. 
Add them to the 21 million of God's children, many just children, carted around the world as chattel, driven by the trade in forced sex and labor, and you've got gridlock on the road to any rights with nobody moving freely. <laughs> Up next, human traffic and weather. Or not you choose to reroute your eyes around it, it's still there. Wonder why this absurdity is so out of control, Reverend Gray? Follow the money. The prison industrial isn't that complex when its context is clarified as corporate players monopolizing human beings like tokens after they land on go to jail. It's easier to figure when you factor in the foolishness of police districts blowing up their bookings and filling beds. See, this is slavery by any other name. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute now, Reverend Catherine. The loophole in the 13th does call it that, doesn't it? Well, there it is. Easy as one, two, three. The strikes you get before being struck out of the full roster of citizenship, sent down to the minors, disenfranchised. You don't even get that many swings if you're the away team trying to play in the home park of the privileged. Hard-working folk forced to flee their forebears' farms due to falling prices fashioned by free trade agreements, or fleeing violence fueled by arms forged in northern factories and Faustian pacts between our federal and its nefarious friends. Thousands go through hell to get here only to arrive in hell. Surprised? Well, you won't hear tell of this too much. Our welcoming government quells this, trying to keep it on the slide. But now detention is a family affair. With everyday people rounded up together, then torn apart. Parents and children made separate, but equal is the pain in their hearts. They were hoping this country would want them to stay, but they discovered that even here, not everybody is a star. For them, there's no hot fun in the summertime because they got iced. So while they're made to dance to the music of orchestrated racism, they look for allies to help take them higher. Question is, will we stand with them? Doing everything we can so that their God-given dignity is respected and they can be themselves again? We are the ones who must make the earthquake. We are the trumpets that must make the wall shake with justice that opens doors and blows the captives home. Indeed, we might be the next captives. So either we lock arms with those on lockdown or our spirits languish. Our action is of seismic importance. We better not blow it. Good morning, Frederick. I, 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 before we say anything else, can I tell you how much fun I'm already having? <laughs> Just being up here. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why in, in a second. But I do want to uh, greet and give my thanks to, to Reverend Carl Gregg uh, for the invitation to come. I do want to give special thanks to Lisa and Bill uh, for not only giving us that wonderful music, but Lisa for making this, this opportunity happen. Uh, and uh, just extending the opportunity to come and hang out and learn and be in this particular space. Um, as I say, I'm already having fun for any number of reasons. First of all, I shade David Crosby. Um, he gave us so much, and I was just so glad that you, you dipped into him. Not to mention Curtis, uh, who's grown on for many years now, but I shade Curtis. Um, these are the types of musical prophets, performing artists, prophets, uh, that so many of us have, have gained so much from over the years. And uh, as a performing artist myself, um, you know, I see no line. There is no delineation between uh, what some of us do from the pulpit, what some of us do uh, with a guitar in hand, what some of us do with a poem, what many of you do with dance and visual art as you had uh, so wonderfully down the hallway. Uh, and so, so that already makes me feel at home. But my young family, who came to light the, the chalice today, really made me feel at home because she was rocking her Pink Floyd <laughs> sweatshirt. So that's so. Can we good now? All right. That's, if we gonna start it off that way, you know, uh, 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 you know, and, and and so much of what we're talking about, and so much of what you all are already doing here uh, at Frederick UU are. Well, it's about being another brick in the wall, isn't it? Uh, if you want to think of it that way and, and bringing our uh, piece of strengthening the society and transforming the society uh, 
to the table. I, I had fun as I was uh, changing and preparing in, in Reverend Greg's office because uh, anywhere I go now, if I ever end up in your house, I'm going right to the bookshelf. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you that now. So go, go and get it together. Uh, and so I spent the extra few minutes looking at uh, the dynamic selection uh, on your bookshelf, which I so enjoyed, uh, particularly as a, a bookseller. So I guess it's time for me to stop and bring you greetings from a very special place in Baltimore. It's called Red Emma's Bookstore Coffee House. Red as in the color, Emma's as in the name apostrophe S, because we're named after Emma Goldman. Many of you are familiar with her. Bookstore Coffee House. It's at 3128 Greenmount Avenue. Uh, that's in the Waverly neighborhood of Baltimore, central Baltimore, if you know the area. Uh, it is our uh, new location. It's the fourth incarnation of it, uh, but it's the first time we've actually purchased the buildings. Uh, and so we are uh, venturing out in, into a new thing. Uh, the, the first thing to say about it is that we are a worker collective. So that means everybody on the team is either an owner or in position to become an owner. So uh, we're trying to, to demonstrate a model that is more equitable uh, in the face of uh, the world's big capitalism uh, and trying to do something different. Uh, as you guessed by being named after Emma, it's a little anarchist, Rad Love found it thing. And uh, so you can come down and all the books that weren't going to be in the average bookstore and, and uh, all of the uh, selection that uh, Governor DeSantis down, down south and some others are trying to uh, make disappear from the face of the earth. We got them all there. So you want to know where to, where to find them, uh, we've got them. And so you need to really come down and browse the bookstore, enjoy something to eat, vegan restaurants, so, so you can take care of your, your health. Uh, and there are author talks and speakers and things literally every week. All right, we have a couple coming up this week. Uh, I invite you to go to the website, which is redemmas.org, redemmas.org, and you can see the events. Uh, it is, as mentioned, the home of my poetry event, which we started uh, a little more than 10 years ago now. It's called Red Emma's Mother Earth Poetry Vibe. All right, I heard some Emma Goldman scholars in the room. I heard you make some noise. Uh, so they can tell you that Mother Earth was a radical uh, periodical from the early part of the 1900s that Emma and Alexandra Berkman uh, did for a while. So I decided to name it after that because our theme there is indeed peace, justice, poetry. All right. And I know there's some poets in the room. How many poets are in the room? Okay. I see about six, seven, eight hands. Okay. Now we're going to try that again and then I need to see this time everybody's hand. How many poets are in the room? Because you know there's a poet in everybody waiting to come out, right? All right, I just, so, so don't even play, all right? So I've got, you're going to get an assignment probably by the end of the day, uh, poetry-related also. And again, this just comes back to the fact that I'm having a ball here uh, at Frederick UU because I've already seen on the schedule that you have the poetry group uh, meeting midweek. I'm sorry, I'll be on shift down at the store then. I'd, I'd have zoomed in with you. Uh, and, and so many good things. You have the book club going. And so this is... This tells me uh, that this is a group of people and a family of people that are trying to learn and using your critical analysis, there's that word, all right, and trying to be in uh, communication with spirit and let spirit move you towards the transformation of society. So uh, really, it is my honor um, to, to spend a few minutes with you. Uh, and of course, I'm always honored if I can follow in the footsteps of my man, Sergio. Uh, I, I happened to been hanging out on the, on the website, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that is that my Sergio Espanol? It sure enough was. Uh, Sergio is a dynamic brother indeed. Uh, just saw him a few days ago, as a matter of fact, as we were uh, demonstrating together uh, at a, a weekly thing called West Wednesdays, which is uh, to bring justice to the uh, family of Tyrone West, who was killed by police in 2013. Sergio is a part of that team, as am I, uh, and, and Serge does so many dynamic things, and, and you already know because you got a chance to hear him uh, a couple of weeks ago. So between the things that you're already doing, between the dynamic reading that you're doing, between the young lady uh, leading us with the Pink Floyd t-shirt and Sergio having been here, and Lisa and Bill dropping some David Crosby and Curtis, that's it. I don't have anything to talk about, so it's been really nice being with you. I'm going to go... All right, I guess I'll say one or two things. I'll just put a, put a couple of things on it. Creator God, 
Be with us now, still our hearts, open our minds, and may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our creator, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. The name of the poem you just heard is actually the name of what we want to think about for a couple minutes today. Uh, and I understand that you, you're right now thinking in your minds, he's a poet and a black preacher. It's going to be more than a couple minutes, but I really. <laughs> but I had to tell you myself that, all right, so that we, we can try to reach that. I want us to think for a few minutes on the selling of souls, the selling of souls. Now, that's spelled with a C in this case, all right? Um, Something I know that you all are already thinking about because, again, I'm, I'm, I'm peeking and I'm scoping. Uh, we heard the scriptures from Lamentations. We heard uh, the scriptures uh, from Acts. Uh, I'm so good and so glad to be here uh, uh, with a group of people to understand that the spirit and to understand that uh, 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 everything that the seven principles, if you will, talks about, drives us to examine the selling of human beings uh, in this, this country. And so uh, that uplifts me today. Uh, we didn't say in the bio, I don't think that I come out of the United Church of Christ background and spent some, some years uh, uh, doing national ministry there, but even, even many years ago, a dear professor of mine in seminary, uh, Michael Willard Newhart, um, used to joke with me, say, well, you know, Ken, UCC is just a Unitarian considering Christ. And I said, all right. <laughs> facts, facts, facts. Probably so, probably so. I, I, um, uh, as I've evolved over the years, I've found myself actually probably being more Unitarian in, in, in personal theology uh, than Trinitarian. But no matter what background we are coming from, and, and so many backgrounds are represented in this room, they all point to this examination of why is it uh, that we sell, that we capture, that we exploit, that we imprison uh, the children of God uh, uh, in this society. And it's also fun to be here during Black History Month because why is this important? Uh, because you already know, and we're going to look at some things. We're going to talk about the fact that BIPOC people, all right, that black indigenous people of color are exploited and selled, if you again want to make that a verb, uh, at a ridiculously systemically racist rate. And so when you add that to uh, the oppression of rural white folk in the state and in this country, uh, we have an issue. I just want to briefly leave you with kind of three things and have you wrap your minds around three uh, matters that we have to not only examine but deconstruct. We have to debuild. We talk about another brick in the wall. We got to reverse that now with some of these things and pull the bricks out of this wall and deconstruct some things. First, we must deconstruct our common assumptions of criminal justice. To deconstruct our common assumptions of criminal justice. Now, we all know how we build, most of us in the society, our assumptions. because We grew up with the media and we grew up uh, with TV. Uh, uh, some of you grew up with law and order. Uh, and we're big Law and Order fans. Uh, as adults, those of us who, who have a little bit more gray probably grew up on Adam 12 uh, and Dragnet, all right? Uh, or maybe we wanted to romanticize the Old West in ways that historically was, really was not. But for TV purposes, we watched Gunsmoke, all right, and the High Chaparral, and all of these things that seem to glorify uh, uh, a mythology that there was indeed law and order in the way that it should be, that somehow benefited everybody uh, in the society. And it assumes a benevolence of prison systems that we need to begin to question, uh, especially as I say we were taught by this media. So when in the poem, just to go back to the poem, and the poem is the sermon, by the way. So again, I can sit down and just, I want you to listen to to, to the words of poetry, but we talk about uh, misleading media made to maintain some manufactured war on drugs. Misleading, me misleading media, not only in terms of some of the TV shows and the movies that we grew up watching, but in terms of some of the, the reports that are given, okay? Uh, 
if you take two quote-unquote riots, all right, let's say one of them is after another young black person is killed. You could go to Baltimore, Freddie Gray, all right, known as the Baltimore Uprising, um, the demonstrations three years ago after the killing of George Floyd, any one of those examples. And you will hear media couch it as rabble-rousers, as uh, 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 violators, as looters, and these types of coded language. Now, let a team lose in a big game, all right, and watch uh, a downtown be torched and police cars overthrown by the young white folk who were a bit upset that their team lost. Uh, and you don't hear that language, do you? Mm-hmm. Team supporters were upset. Fans were angry. That type of thing, all right? So we do have to uh, uh, examine what, again, I call this misleading media. Uh, and as I say, it's maintained to manufacture some war on drugs. That phrase, of course, has its own interesting history, all right? Um, Many of you lived through the time when uh, in order to uh, maintain control in society, in order to maintain favor, uh, those in power had to step away from their more overtly racist language, right? All right. So you didn't hear certain things being called. You didn't hear uh, 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 the Nixon administration and some other things say so much as a war on black folk, even though deep inside those offices, that's exactly what it was. And there are even tapes that have come out, more tapes <laughs> that have come out since then, uh, in which you hear the more direct conversation. But for a public facing, uh, it was around those days when it was more and more called war on drugs, war on crime, coded languages, and urban war. Coded language, all right, uh, to maintain not only a racist policing practice, but its, its attendant erasing uh, racist imprisoning uh, practice. And you see this to this day, all right? right? Even right here in Maryland, we're talking about 531 people per every 100,000 folk incarcerated uh, in the state, uh, which, believe it or not, as high as that is, and that alone, if we were to just take Maryland and make it a country, that's higher than the vast majority of democracies around the world. But even Maryland's 531 is, is lower than the national average, which is somewhere up in the 600s, all right? Um, they're 531, 74 of those are women, all right? 74 uh, uh, of those uh, are women. As a matter of fact, the U.S. generally has 30% of the world's female prison Population, even though the U.S. has about, I want to say 9%, maybe less than that, I think I'm a little high, uh, 4%, 5, 6% of the world's women, but we have 30% of the female incarcerated population. So that's, again, going back to misleading media, we think it's just uh, uh, a situation with men, but, but very sadly, very tragically, uh, the number of women incarcerated is much too high even, even those who are defending themselves. We just had a wonderful event uh, the other week at the bookstore uh, with a new book, Imperfect Victims, which examines the fact that even if you are a woman who is in an abusive situation uh, where you have to defend yourself, where finally uh, you take the matters to defend yourself and your children, uh, and we think, okay, well, that's somewhere that, that the policing and the criminal justice system can come in to help, right? I mean, we would naturally want that to be the case and yet more and more and the stats show this that those women who are defending themselves in abusive situations are the ones who get persecuted are the ones who get tried are the ones who get in prison there are women who have been in jail for 10 and 15 and 20 years because they were defending themselves so we have to to examine that uh, again use our critical analysis to to see what this war on drugs and this war on crime is. We keep going and we see that Paul replied, they have beaten us in public, uncondemned, men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison, and now they're going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Certainly not. Uh-uh, freak that. No, 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 no. No, we're not doing that. 
All right, let them come and take us out themselves. I found this particular, this was, this was the part that really hit me of that story. In all these years, until recently, the past year, I never really picked up on that part of that story, uh, which fascinates me because it says no longer. Paul and Silas are saying, no, you're not going to get away with this in secret, okay? Whatever it is that you're going to do, we're going to publicize it, all right? We're going to make people know about what is happening. That is our task also, is it not? All right, if we're going to deconstruct this selling of souls going on in the U.S., we have to do that. You're familiar with Ahmed Aubrey, uh, who was murdered uh, while jogging uh, by off-duty uh, police and police-adjacent uh, people. That was not known to the general public. By the time we heard about it up here, it was already weeks old. And that whole situation would have gotten buried uh, by media if it were not for the family of Ahmed and uh, supporters and on-the-ground local organizers making sure that that case stayed alive until it finally got to national news. Then it blew up. Only then did you see uh, the prosecution of his killers. But had that not been the case, had that family and those local uh, organizers not maintained the story and pushed and pushed and pushed, there would have been no prosecution of killers there would have been, because we wouldn't have known. All right. And once again, they would have been able to get away with things uh, in the dark. Sergio says we have to translate our faith all right, and our theory and our critical analysis into that on the ground organizing action. Critical media literacy is a part of this. I don't know if you've ever heard that term. Some of you are probably involved in media. I know there are plenty of educators in the room. Uh, critical media literacy, uh, again, where we break down and we deconstruct what's being shown, uh, what's being hit. The fight against voter disenfranchisement, you all are about to talk about Fannie Lou. All right. Uh, Fannie Lou is, is perhaps the boldest, most dynamic example of fighting against voter disenfranchisement. Uh, someone who was beaten, someone who was tortured, someone who kept and kept and kept and kept pushing uh, and organizing. We just talked about Georgia. We know the story of there. Uh, the fight for reparations, okay, is a part of what we're talking about, okay? Uh, the redress that this country still has not made uh, to people of African descent and many others, uh, for that matter, even though the entire economy of the United States would not be what it is without the free labor that it was built on for hundreds of years. I mentioned all of these things, and these are all conversations, day-long seminars in and of themselves, but all of these things tie back into the prison system, okay? Uh, we have to learn how to uh, deconstruct our common notions of criminal justice and what it is. Secondly, then, we have to deconstruct our common assumptions of capitalism. That's where we, you knew I was going right there. I'm sorry, Reverend Greg, I missed you. I mentioned the C word. Uh, We've done it before. Bad, have you? Wash my mouth out. You're not supposed to come into the place of worship in the United States, you know, and dare critique the great God of capitalism. How dare I? All right, I ought to take the stole off right now. But if we're going to be true to the radical leaders of our various faiths, the carpenter from Nazareth and you know, revolutionary name Muhammad and all kinds of, you know, if we're going to actually tap into uh, our leader's power, then we actually have to be bold enough to critique the state and the status quo of state apparatus, state apparatus. We had to deconstruct our common notions of capitalism. And what we're talking about, particularly with today's topic, is carceral capitalism, right? You probably have heard that term. Uh, there's some really good writing on it. Uh, you definitely see me afterwards because we have a lot of good things down at the store. Uh, carceral capitalism. So the selling of souls, again, spelled with a C, is done literally for the selling of souls with an S, or if you will, a dollar sign, all right, because of the prison labor industry. All right, and we're out here in Western Maryland, so we, we know, you know better than I do, okay, the size of the prison labor industry in Frederick County and Hagerstown. Um, and it's not just the fact that you have so many privatized prisons uh, arising in the con uh, country, Core Civic, uh, Geo, and, and companies like that, all right, that actually make money hand over fist, 
uh, by building prisons and incarcerating more and more people. This is why the police have to keep feeding bodies to those systems. Why the police have to arrest more and more black and brown and indigenous and poor white bodies to keep feeding those privatized prisons. Uh, but even in terms of the public ones, you have prison systems that contract with various companies. And they'll show up in ways that we are not even aware of. Clothes we wear, furniture that we, we go and buy, you know, and put in the house. Uh, uh, tech-related things that shows up over and over again. And we need to begin to, I need to begin more to challenge myself to see where are my products coming from and how much prison labor uh, is involved in the sourcing of those products. Verse 19 of our, our passage said, but when our owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. How about that? Uh, uh, you, they weren't making too much noise at first. Uh, but when the cash was threatened and where the opportunity, you know, uh, was threatened because they were enslaving this young girl and using her. And when that was threatened, then they wanted to make noise. Then they said, no, you got to you got to throw Paul and Silas in jail. All right. Um, the enslavers of my people. We don't need to go too far in that, right? We understand. Uh, when they saw that they were going to lose or potentially lose their main way of making money off of us, that caused them to ramp up their arrest unjustly, all right? And that's why we talk about in the poem, the loophole in the 13th does call it that. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody read that? Let's, let's, let's read, the, read the passage. It's very interesting. Again, I didn't know this until many, many, many years. All right, into, to, I might have been well into adulthood before I ever actually closely read this particular part of the little thing, all right, uh, in the uh, uh, Constitution. It says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, watch this now, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. The whole duly convicted part is already messed up, right? All right. We know due convictions are already skewered in the court. Uh, again, I'll probably tell you about a very sad story uh, that, that demonstrates that in a few minutes. But uh, even besides that, the fact that that exists at all uh, is that loophole that allows this prison industry to flourish that we're talking about. Okay. Well, we, we just, we can't have them as slaves anymore. I mean, fought the damn war and, and, and you know, tried to get people to believe that, that it was for Southern glory and we erected statues and now they're tearing down the statues and what have you. But at least we still have the prison labor system because uh, we can have the police arrest more and more and more. And once they get convicted of the crime, there it is, you know hiding behind the fact that they get actually paid. But I mean, what is it? Cents on a day or on an hour? That's not really paid. That's, uh, that's slavery by any other name, okay? Uh, again, this goes back to the fact that we have to blow the whistle on these things, organize, as Sergio says, make these things known. How many of you are familiar with The Last Poets? Anybody listen to The Last Poets? They were a radical, they were a revolutionary poetry group uh, in the 60s and 70s. One of them may said this, Abiodun Oyewole, he said, the prison industrial complex needs bodies. They are trying to recreate slavery. And we, speaking of black folk in this case, have always been the target for that. And if they can fill the prisons with us, it is putting money in somebody's pocket. And when you take a black child or a brown child out of the hood and say that this person has raped or killed a white person without any proof, many folks, and unfortunately even people in the community, have begun to buy these lies because the media supports what these folks say. We have to deconstruct our common assumptions of criminal justice. We have to deconstruct our common assumptions of capitalism. And thirdly, we have to deconstruct our common notions about the role of institutionalized religion. I'm so glad, again, to be in a space where that already happens, all right, where you begin to break down walls 
uh, that were erected between this particular faith path uh, and that. And therefore, as folk who want to do that, we had to deconstruct uh, notions about what used to be the role of institutionalized uh, religion. Let me just speak from my own particular slice of that path uh, from the history of, of, of the Christian church, which is absolutely effed up. I'm not going to say the whole word. But we know this, right? Okay. Uh, major, major problems. There's no wonder folk uh, often don't want to tell my, most of my colleagues down at the coffee shop won't touch uh, the church or most institutionalized religion with a 10-foot pole. And for good reasons. And for good reasons in terms of the pain that has been done to them personally and systemically uh, in society. And somehow, this thing called the church, and that, again, in that side of our spiritual past, uh, that was supposed to be very revolutionary. That was supposed to be uh, following somebody who was overturning tables in the temple and whipping people because they were ripping folk off and that type of thing. All right. Somehow or another that uh, over the course of the years because of government institutionalizing, because of, again, the profit motive that we're talking about, uh, that totally changed. And in its context, in its current context, in the context, especially of the past couple of centuries, when you look at the history of policing and criminal justice in the past two or three hundred years, uh, the church, unfortunately, has been a bulwark of policing in America. If we were right, when you see me write that, that's usually spelled with three Ks. All right. Um, but the church has become too much a supporter of policing in America rather than calling it to task, rather than deconstructing it. And that's why we have our Lamentations passage, right? All right. Perversions in the presence of the Most High. Okay. They should be perversions in our presence as well. We're not going to spend too much time because I know I'm already preaching to the, to the congregation, preaching to the choir, preaching to the David Carlsby singers. And the, I mean, we, y'all are already on the case. And I know that um, in this particular congregation, at least, uh, none of you are actually kind of sitting on the theoretical knowledge without doing action. Now, they do that at other congregations, but I know that doesn't happen here. I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, I ain't trying to come up and cause trouble. Well, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay, that's a lie. That's a lie. You're right. That's a lie. Uh, we just had to come down to ask us, you know, as, as we start to wrap it up and maybe do a poem or two more, you know, what is it that we're going to do? And again, go back to my man, Serge, who talks about trying to translate uh, our thoughts and our theory into action and into organizing. Um, Certainly there are plenty of things happening down in Baltimore, but I, I actually need to learn more about what the organizing context looks like in Western Maryland as far as movement uh, to deconstruct the criminal justice system. And there's a, there's a word I haven't mentioned yet, and I might as well go ahead and put it out there. And this is where some of the conversation goes back and forth, and, and you had to figure out uh, where you are on this path. For me, that area word is abolition. So when you hear me speak of police and prisons, I am looking toward prison abolition. I'm looking toward police abolition. Uh, that means that for me, I'm done pity-patting around with the reforms and, and trying to push for them because I've seen them fail and fail and fail. My father used to actually do uh, uh, consulting with police districts uh, to try to retrain uh, them. And uh, he could probably tell you better than anybody else that I mean, he just got frustrated. Uh, after a while. And you've seen these types of reforms uh, fail. There's so many good books. Again, let's talk afterwards uh, that I could recommend. Alex Vitale, The End of Policing. Uh, Derricka Purnell, Becoming Abolitionist. Uh, you're already familiar, of course, with Angela Davis, uh, Our Prisons Obsolete, et cetera, et cetera. But there's so many people who've done the research and the writing. Marion Caba, uh, Andrea Ritchie looking especially at violence against police, violence against women. There's so many people who've done the research that say that the reforms just are not working because it allows the system to stonewall, all right, and to BS us around. And so I actually am looking, when I say the deconstruction of these things, I am looking for prison abolition and building a whole new, truly restorative system for those who have uh, violated society. When I'm talking about police abolition, I'm actually looking at the deconstruction of policing as we've known it uh, for the past 
couple of centuries, this particular institution that literally is descended from the slave catchers, that's where the badge comes from, all right? This institution that comes out of uh, 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 English monarchy and aristocracy, breaking labor movements, all right? Again, literally where it comes from. I'm looking at the abolition of that and building a whole new public safety system, all right, where you increase the number of social workers, where you increase the number of, of, of mental health counselors, where you increase things, where you change the economics of society uh, so that every little thing is not responded to by somebody who looks like they just came out of the 18, uh, you know, strapped to the nines with weapons. Why? Because my tail light was out. And it's a very real fear. My light was out a couple months ago. I knew I had a, a tail light out. And I'm going through uh, Roland Park neighborhood, uh, those of you that know Baltimore, okay, uh, North Central Park. I grew up there. I spent all 12 years, you know, at a private school there, but that doesn't mean anything. That wasn't going to save me if I had gotten stopped for a broken taillight and uh, folk behind, you know, the slave catching badge, excuse me, I mean the police badge, had decided to, you know, be a little frisky that night. The fact that I went to private school, you know, all the degrees, anything, that wasn't going to save me. Okay, so I am calling uh, for abolition. There's so much more we can say. Again, these things take days worth of, of unpacking so that we can organize. I am going to leave you with either one poem or two. And and I, I say that and I have to, to give myself that choice and you and, and figure out how we want to do this. Because usually when I talk about this particular subject. Uh, uh, that particular poem, we talked about the, the prison system. You also heard a section of that poem that talked about our immigrant brothers and sisters and non-binary family, right? Um, which is a whole conversation in and of itself that we don't even have time for. But the, the systemic imprisoning and incarcerating of folk on the border, just because they actually wanted to come here, but now they're being held in prisons, okay? The fact that they are... are you know, what used to be called the black, black sites, underground prisons in our major cities, okay, that look like just regular factory buildings and warehouse buildings are at and are actually immigration detention centers, all right? Uh, this is a whole type of thing that needs to be dealt with. So there's actually a poem called Immigration Acrostic uh, uh, that I do. It's in a book that I have out there. It's on an album. How many of you are familiar with an acrostic poem where you may use an alphabet and write out your poetic lines, dropping down the alphabet. You may use your name or anything that you want. I said I had an assignment for you. Your homework, your poetic homework for this week is to go home and write an acrostic poem about anything that you want, all right? Uh, longest chapter in the Hebrew Bible is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a big acrostic poem that breaks down the Hebrew. One stanza starts with Aleph, the next bait, the next gimel so forth and so on. So it's really fun. So that's, that's your challenge. Uh, and <laughs> like some of my poetry colleagues say, if you want to hear that poem, it's available on such and such. I'm going, to, I'm going to invite you to come and look at it in the interest of the time. I'm not going to do it right now because uh, I really hadn't planned to do this poem. Uh, it's a difficult poem for me to do always, but I probably cannot come to Frederick and talk about the prison system and the incarceration system, which, as we've just said, is related to, you know, its, its, its partner, the actual policing system, the front end of what we can call the criminal justice system. I probably cannot come to Frederick uh, and not actually talk about uh, this particular example. We said that misleading media have shaped people's minds, including uh, those that call themselves enforcers of the law. And not 10 minutes from here, 15 minutes from here, in 2007, one of those police officers, one of those slave catchers, as I call them, uh, showed up at about 5 or so in the morning responding to what should have been a routine noise complaint about a couple of young men that were uh, arguing outside and making a bit too much noise in the neighborhood for that particular time. Uh, and unfortunately, 
instead of what we see on law and order uh, and what we see on all of our shows in which the officer responded calmly and counseled the young men uh, in terms of their behavior, uh, something else uh, went awry. And so I'm going to leave you with this particular poem. Uh, before I do that, I want to say again uh, how just fun and, and how much joy and how much happiness I have to be with you today, how much I'm looking forward to learning more about what you're doing as a congregation, how we can actually network between Frederick and Baltimore and other places to address some of these matters. All right, all right, I heard you already. All right, my hands are down. My hands, what the hell are you doing? All right, I got you, my hands are down. My hands are That's what I heard he said. Before the metal darts bore into him. Before all that current tore in through him. 50,000 volts, not once but twice, causing a schism in his neural and cardiac system. Let's do the division. 100,000 by 20 years of a young black man's life. That would be 5,000 units of hate for each year he had to live with the stress and strife of being a young African in a society full of banality and police brutality a society of racial profiling, subtly smiling, thinking in its collective head, oh well, just another nigga dead. Cops copped a life of color. A cat got capped by even cops of color who copped out and got co-opted into a corrupt conformity that consigns our kind to some crazy contumely, creating a contempt that ramps up amps to stamp out our community and watch to swat our attempt to live humanly. Yeah, yeah, I know that damn goose made him kind of loose but there was no justification for an electronic noose. They made it seem like he was in a threatening position, but that's another damn law enforcement fiction because eyewitnesses made statements to the contrary. But what I witnessed too often from the constabulary is a lack of emotional fitness to be carrying weaponry and a dangerous disposition to be the adversary. And so he was tasered. You know that Electronic control device has gotten out of control and is now the vice of choice for many an out-of-control control freak. That non-lethal weapon, which has been surprisingly lethal for the more than 300 people whose lives it's leaked, I already had a negative view about it. I never thought this close to home the news would hit. Checked my phone. Five times my sister had called. Oh, something's wrong, y'all. Found out later. Two shocked the ball, to stun the cry. The guy who loved to run ball, whose smile was still so childlike on a man-child's body, tall, was shocked and stunned to death, shrouded under hatred's paw. The first baby boy of my sister. How I wished I could be with her. How more than ever I missed her. I could only imagine her screams as her young mister, which the creator gifted her, was ripped from her, creating a rift in her. God, please uplift in her the strength to go on. Took him to a game once. <laughs> Thank God for that one time, which he enjoyed and appreciated. Let me know I wasn't hated, even though my calls and cards were belated, and though I rarely was around, he'd never berated. Now, this is no excuse for it. It's, it's nothing that makes it right, but admittedly, for a time, his mother and I weren't running tight. No, no, not like there was a fight, nothing deranged, just... A brother and a sister is strange, though that was beginning to change. But for the longest time, it was for no other reason than that we hadn't sat down to talk. And now we were in a season of tragedy, which brought us into a closer walk. I respected my sis because she always invited, always pleaded with me to come get him and be that uncle I was supposed to be. Spend time with him. Be a man with him. Encourage and, if need be, reprimand him. Help him focus. Teach him. Give him some locus where he could reach in and center himself and execute his plans. Now he's been executed by trigger-happy hands. Weird, isn't it? Spend a career working with other people's kids while your relationship with some of your own hits the skids, made slippery with good intentions. So with all that having been mentioned, can't make the same mistakes of absence with the next two. Gotta honor Rel's memory and to them be true. Oh, Internal investigations, of course, found no wrongdoing, and thus no punitive action was ensuing. <laughs> Obviously, they weren't really look looking. 
too much a part of the system to make the correct booking. The not-so-grand jury made no convictions. The oppressors hoped that we lack conviction and we'll wither in this war of attrition. They act as if we owe them contrition. But no. No. There will be no acquiescence to the slaver's electronic whip. No letting the memory of Jarrell and others slip. No voltage that will leave our minds so dazed, our souls so... Tased that we accept this shit is just an unfortunate phase and do nothing but turn the page or turn aside from our justified rage. No, we won't let ourselves be consumed by hate, but we don't appreciate the continued rate at which our killers get to skate. Too many folk have been charged and their murderers not charged. Too many folk have been charged while in the authorities charged and left twisted in some dying position while those in charge get to hide behind our badges and positions. Their badges in their positions. So I charge us with the mission of unplugging the injustice which kills our brothers and sisters, which kills our children. Shocking, but true. So let's do what we gotta do. Speak love to our young ones while we have the opportunity. Speak truth to power to end police impunity. We cannot and will not accept this current reoccurrence of hate. The survival of our community is at issue. Indeed, the survival of our families. And Jarrell, I miss you. Poem for Jarrell. Frederick, you, you, you are family, and I have felt so welcome here and look forward to meeting and talking with you and unpacking some of these things as we continue along in the struggle. God bless you. Much love.